morning. morning. We have some announcements. Feeding the homeless this Wednesday. We are having women's Bible study on January 19th at 6 p.m. You have to look and make sure. Would work out good if you did it January 19th and finished up your last book, and then we can start the new book, all of us, in February. Because that would mean the next men's Bible study would start February 4th with the new book. So, so something to think about. Okay. And then youth night will be we'll start February 9th. updates or check out the calendar online right okay and with that let's pray dear father i thank you for this day i thank you for your love for your mercy for your grace i thank you for the ways that you lead and guide us the ways you provide for us i ask you would uh, draw us closer to you you would speak to our hearts today you would lead us and guide us through this study I thank you for all that you do for us. I ask you would watch over our community, that you would protect it, that you would draw each person in this community closer to you, and that there would be many that would come to know you. Here in this community, help us to be a light and a witness to those around us. Help us to be patient and kind and loving. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name, I pray all these things. Amen. Okay. We're going to take a break from Romans again. So we're going to, last, well, before Christmas, we talked about worry. And today, we're going to talk more, like a little bit more, the next piece after worry would be like depression. What does the Bible say about depression? Um, So we're going to look at that. But first, we have to start with John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his own Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So if we keep in mind that God loves the world so much that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only Son, that we look through the look through the Bible, look through the with, look through what we're reading with the lens that God loves us so much there's nothing he won't do for us I think that helps to put things into perspective we serve a very loving God not an angry God not a vengeful God but a loving long-suffering compassionate merciful God and so in all of his wisdom in all of his mercy he gives us all of his word, his the whole Bible. And the whole Bible speaks of many different topics, and one of them is depression. And we get to see how that's handled and how that comes about um, in different people's lives throughout the Bible. So we're going to go through that. But before we get into that, I want to set the, the stage for some context. 
And for that, we're going to look at a few verses here throughout. They'll all be up on the screen. Um, but the first set of verses will be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. So this is Paul speaking. Um, so starting here in verse 16. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So Paul says that even when everyone else left him, everyone else abandoned him, he was all on his own. God never left him. God stood by his side. We have that promise from God all throughout the Bible. There's a couple places that are picked that you can find that, but there's many other places that speak of the exact same thing. Um, One of your more famous ones is Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. This is what God is saying to the Israelites as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Verse 8 here, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So God will neither fail us nor abandon us. And he's making that promise to the Israelites as they get ready to go into the promised land. So you can say, well, he was making that promise to them, not to us. But we read here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. This is Jesus' words as he gives the great commission to all of his disciples. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus gives us this promise that he is always with us. So when we feel alone, when everyone else has abandoned us, God has never left us. God is always with us. We have that promise all throughout the Bible. So when we're going through life and we have struggles and challenges and different things that come about, we can always turn back to God. We can always look to the Bible. We should be looking to God first and foremost. But sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we get... um, The lens of what's right in front of us keeps us from seeing the eternal picture, the bigger picture. But God is always with us. We can always remember that. His promises are always true. So, with that, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now 
that the day of his return is drawing near. So here, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that God's promises are always true. He always keeps all of his promises. So the promise that he is always with us, he always keeps that. You can always be affirmed and confirmed that God will do what he says. He will never leave us, never abandon us. And then the writer goes on to say, and let's motivate one another in acts of good work and love and not neglect our meeting together, not neglect getting together. Don't be in isolation, right? Get together with other believers. Be encouraged by them. Encourage other believers that this is a a command from God, that we should be getting together to encourage one another, spending time with other believers. Does that mean we spend time with only believers? No, we live in the world. We're going to spend time with people of the world all throughout our days, our jobs, the people we interact with. We're going to be around unbelievers, but we are to make a conscious effort to spend time with believers, spend time with those that will encourage us, that will strengthen us, that will um, that we can encourage and strengthen as well. So we'll look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It'll be up on the screen. It'll just be this one verse, and then we'll get into the... We'll head to 1 Kings. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So as believers, this was the example that the the early church gives to us. The book of Acts is the, the account of what the early church was doing. And it says here that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Well, the apostles' teachings was the New Testament. So they devoted themselves to studying the the Word of God, right? And they devoted themselves to fellowship, to being together with one another, with other believers, that that was important, that we're not to be isolated, we're not to be alone on an island. That's never God's design. That's not what He has planned for us, that we're to be with other believers. And that they were sharing meals, including the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, right? To remind them of the work that Jesus has done on the cross for our sins. And they devoted themselves to prayer. So we're to get together, we're to study God's word, we're to get together with other believers, we're to share meals with other believers, and we're to devote ourselves to prayer. That was the example the early church gave us, and that's the example that we should live in. With that in mind, with that context, that God never leaves us, never abandons us, that we should have fellowship with other believers, that we should devote ourselves to reading the Bible, that that's important. That when we go through these troubled times, the Bible explains how to handle it, what to do, what to expect, and that God will lead us and guide us through that. And he does that oftentimes through his word. He does that through Bible studies, like this one here. He does that through fellowship with other believers, when other believers are struggling or questioning or discouraged, we should be able to encourage them and be encouraged by them when we're going through the same thing. This idea of worry, we talked about this last time, everyone worries, right? There is no person I know that doesn't have a worry or go through fits of worry or or seasons of worry in their life. Everyone goes through worry. 
that we're all on the same playing field there. And this idea of depression, I would say that everyone goes through depression, that everyone goes through these low, low periods in their life, whether it's short or long. And I think the Bible gives us very clear understanding of how to handle that. So where we're really going to be today is in 1 Kings. And we're going to start, we're not going to read through it all, but we're going to go through the account of Elijah. And we've been through this area before. Um, and it, the story really kind of starts 1 Kings chapter 16. And like I said, we won't read through it all. We'll probably read through chapter 19 though. But 1 Kings chapter 16, um, we read of King Ahab. And... And here, starting in verse 29, we get a little history of Ahab or, or what he did. So Ahab was a son of Amari, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. So the, the kingdom is split. Then we have the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. And we're reading about this King Ahab. He's the king over Israel. He reigned in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, son of Amari, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any other king before him. And as, it were not, and as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, who married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethabel of the Sidians, he began to bow down and worship Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up Asherah poles. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king of Israel before him. It was during his reign that Heel, a man from Bethel, built Jericho. When he laid its foundations, it cost him the life of his oldest son, Abram. And when he completed it and set up the gates, it cost him the life of his youngest son, Sebum. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho, spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. So, so we read here just a little bit about Ahab. Ahab was an evil king, provoked the Lord's anger, did, led the people in all kinds of evil ways. And Elijah, who we've read about before, is God's prophet. God is using Elijah to speak his message, right? So we know that Elijah has close fellowship with God. Um, and if we were to continue on reading through verse seven or chapter 17, we'd read through how God fed Elijah by some ravens. So God sends a famine to the land. Elijah prays and no rain falls. And this famine comes into the land. But God provides for Elijah. He has these ravens go find Elijah food and bring it to him while he's in hiding because the king wants to kill him because the king sees Elijah is causing this famine. The king doesn't recognize God for who he is. God's the one that sent the famine. He just used Elijah to speak his words. He used Elijah as, a, as the office of prophet to speak God's words to the people of Israel. So God feeds Elijah by these ravens. They come and bring him food. He's down by the brook. He has water to drink. God provides for his needs. Elijah gets to see that. Then the brook dries up, but God still provides. He leads him to this widow. And this widow, he meets this widow and, and he says, can you make me some bread? And she says, well, sir, I just came down here to gather some sticks because we're going to cook the last bit of 
we're going to mix up the last bit of flour we have and, and oil and make some bread. And this is our last meal. And then we're just going to die because there is no food left in the land. And he says, well, can you make me some bread? And God will give you this promise that your oil will never run out. Your flour will never run out. And it doesn't. They on, go on to, to eat. Um, God provides for them. So Elijah gets to see that. The widow's son dies. Elijah brings him back to life through God. God, through Elijah, brings this boy back to life. So Elijah gets to see all that. So God is doing a mighty work through Elijah. Elijah sees that. Elijah is in close fellowship with God. Elijah sees all that God's doing, right? And then we have the contest on Mount Carmel in chapter 18. We've been through that, where Elijah goes before the prophets of Baal. And they both set up their sacrifices and they say, well, the one true God will burn up the sacrifice. And the guys of Baal are there all day crying out to, to their God, oh, burn up this sacrifice. And they begin cutting themselves and Elijah start making, starts to make fun of them. Well, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep, right? And what happens? Then they decide, okay, your God's not going to burn up your sacrifice. So let's douse our sacrifice over here. Let's douse Elijah's with water, put a moat around it, soak it all down real quick, or soak it all down for a while and see if God can still burn up this sacrifice. And what happens? Elijah prays, God burns up the sacrifice, right? Burns it up and all the, the people of Israel repent and, and say, oh, there, there is one true God. We believe in the God. And they kill the prophets of, of Baal. Um, and so God's done all this mighty work through Elijah, right? Elijah's walking in close fellowship with God. Elijah should be able to trust God that he's got everything under control, right? He's going to provide for him. And then we read what happens after that. So we'll pick this up here in chapter 18. We'll get down... So then after, we won't read through it, but at the end of chapter 18, after this contest on Mount Carmel, God burns up the sacrifice, Elijah prays, and rain comes. Rain falls on the land, right? And that's how this all started. God sent this famine to get Israel's attention, to bring them back to him. He sent these troubled times to open up their eyes. God, we read that God does that in more than one case throughout the Bible, God allows troubled times to open up our eyes, to draw his people back to him. Um, so then after that, we, we'll pick it up here in chapter 19. We'll read what happens. So God's done all this mighty work through Elijah. Elijah has seen it happen firsthand. Um, and then the enemy comes in and, and gets Elijah distracted and, and brings fear into Elijah's life. So, we'll pick it up here, 1 Kings chapter 19. So when Ahab got home, Ahab was the, the king, the, the wicked king. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow 
I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So here Elijah's done all this mighty work and, and the enemy, and, and the enemy here, the, I would say to you that, that Satan is using Jezebel to do his work and that Jezebel threatens Elijah and that causes Elijah to go into this fear, believing into this fear that's not true, this perceived fear that she's going to kill him. And remember, we've talked about this before. One of the things that Elijah was doing was he told the nation of Israel that he was the only one out there, the only one still serving God on an island all by himself, right? Which we found out later was not true. So, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him. Get up and eat. So Elijah goes into this deep, dark depression. He, he thinks that he needs to be alone. He leaves his servant by himself. He's no longer in fellowship. He's no longer with other believers. He's off on his own. The enemy has created fear in his life. The enemy has got him isolated, right? Through this, this words that were spoken and that he chose to believe. He chose to believe those words over what God had already done in his life. It protected him and provided for him this whole way. So... He goes to sleep under this broom tree and an angel touches him and wakes him up and says, get up and eat, be strengthened. So what has happened? God's never left him, never abandoned him. God sees him. God knows what he is going through. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead of you will be too much. So he got up, ate and drank the food, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So this angel gives him the food to strengthen him, and he's able to travel miraculously for 40 days and 40 nights. One of the things we didn't touch on earlier was that when King Ahab was going back to town to report to Jezebel, Elijah ran ahead of him, ran ahead of his chariot. And God supernaturally gave Elijah the ability to run faster than the horses. So Elijah's, God has done things through Elijah, used Elijah in many ways, um, and Elijah's been able to see that, but still goes through these moments of doubts and fear and unbelief. So we'll continue on here, verse 9. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, 
But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah went and stood there. So Elijah tells God, I'm the only one left. I'm all by myself, which is not true, right? Elijah has this misperceived misconception of fear, this false reality. He's got this lens on, this filter, right? He's got a filter on his life. He's got these maybe glasses he got a filter on him instead of the iPhone that's taking pictures with the filter. Mm-hmm. He's got a filter on his view on life, and it's wrong. It's the enemy's filter. And the enemy does that many times. The enemy puts filters in our minds or in our vision of what we see that isn't true, that is not reality, that is false. And we're about to read how God is going to explain to him how that's not true. He's not all alone, that that he's not going to allow him to be killed. And he won't. God's with him. God's never left him, never abandoned him. But Elijah's bought into this false reality that this false picture that the enemy has painted and how often can we do the same thing we go through something God's done a mighty work in our lives God's answered a prayer God's moved in a way that only he can in our lives and then the enemy is quick to come about and paint this false reality for us paint this false picture and it's our choice to believe it or to trust in the things of God to trust in God um, to say, God, I, I can't see past this. I don't understand how this is going to work, whatever the situation is, but it doesn't look good. But I trust that you are in control, that you are God, that you have somehow allowed this into my life, but I'm going to trust you over what I see in front of me, over what the enemies painted this picture to be. And here we'll see what God's going to do. That God's going to speak to him and explain to him, no, this is reality. The enemies lied to you and deceived you, and you've bought into it, Elijah. And that's brought you into this place of isolation and depression. But this is the reality of what's really going on. So verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went and stood at the entrance to the cave. And the voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So, how does God speak to Elijah? The same way that he speaks to us oftentimes. We expect God to move in mighty ways and and big earthquakes or big loud events in our life. or, Or God just come down and speak to us. And how does he speak to us? Through a gentle whisper, right? Not in a big, mighty way. He can but he speaks to us through a gentle whisper. And I'd say oftentimes that speaking to us comes through our quiet time alone in prayer with him. It comes through when we're reading through his word that he can speak to us. The Bible is God's word and God uses his words to speak to us. We can read through and and that 
verse that we read through or that chapter that we read through or that area of the Bible we read through happens to relate directly to what's going on in our life at that moment in those days, whatever that is. And that's God speaking to us, not in a loud, booming way, but in a gentle whisper. In our quiet time in prayer, in our studying through him, through a worship song, through another believer, even through unbelievers, can speak something into our lives and it sticks with us. I can think of many times where people have said something to me and it's stuck with me. That um, I remember even as an unbeliever, God's still speaking. And it was with a guy I was working with, a guy that was working for me, and he told me, Matt, I don't think you understand how powerful your words are. And this was when I was an unbeliever. And it didn't dawn on me till later, but that stuck with me. That was God speaking in that moment and it stuck with me even now even 12, 13 years later, that my words are very powerful and I need to choose them wisely. Now, I don't always choose them wisely and I ask for forgiveness for that, but I do keep that in the back of my mind. That was God speaking to me, Matt, your words are very powerful. Choose them wisely. Huh. Are you shaking your head? <laughs> so, God speaks to us oftentimes through a whisper through something someone says, not through these big signs in the sky. Can he speak to us that way? Absolutely he can, but oftentimes it's through a whisper. So we'll continue on here, uh, verse 13. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So this is a false reality, and Elijah should be smart enough to realize this is a false reality. We didn't read through it, but he met this man, Obadiah, and Obadiah explained to him how he had saved the prophets of God, that he had hid 50 of them in one cave and 50 of them in another cave. So Elijah knows this. Elijah should know that there are some prophets still left, that God in ways has found ways to hide them and that the nation of Israel isn't coming after him. He just got done with a contest at Mount Carmel. The nation of Israel has now turned their eyes back towards God, but he's gotten this false reality. The enemy has lied to him and deceived him and painted this false picture and Elijah has bought into the lies. And it happens, this mighty man of God, it happens to him and it can happen to us. And it happens to us quite frequently, probably more frequently than we're willing to admit. So, continuing on here in verse 15, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. You will arrive there to anoint Hazael to become king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimishi, to be the king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from the town of Abel-Mehor, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazul will be killed by Jehu, and anyone who escapes Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. So Elijah saying that I'm the only one left. He's got this false reality, this false painting this false view of what's going on that the enemy has given him and he's bought into those lies and God gives him the truth. 
gives him what is really happening. He's taken that false image away and says, nope, I've preserved 7,000 others who have never bowed the knee, the knee to Baal. And I am still God and I am still in control. And these are the kings you're going to anoint. This is what's going to happen. And that you're going to rise up Elijah to replace you as prophet. And so Elijah goes out and does what God says. But he goes through this moment, this severe depression, where he says, God, I want you to take my life, right? I want to end my life. I'm, I'm done. And oftentimes I think that happens where we think that there's no way out. God, this can never get any better. My life is over. My life is ruined. And it's not true. It's a false reality. It's a false picture that the enemy has painted and that we can oftentimes fall into, that we can oftentimes believe this lie, this deception from the enemy. And if we're being honest with ourselves, this happens to everyone. There is no one that doesn't struggle with this, right? There's no one that doesn't struggle with um, times of depression, times of low, times of um, not wanting to go on any longer. And how long that lasts, it varies. But I do want to point through, and that's what we'll, we'll finish up here today, is what happens when we do go through this? How do we handle this? What does God say about this? And we learn that, one, we believe God's promises. We've already been through that. That God's promises always are true. So he promises never to leave us or abandon us. So we're never alone, right? We're never on our own. God is always with us. And that what were we to do? We're to surround ourselves with other believers, right? We're to spend time in fellowship. We're to spend time studying God's word. That's a big deal. That when these troubled times come up, great, you go find your Bible then. But if you've been in your word, if you've been in God's word and reading the Bible before the troubled times, then you'll have more understanding of how to handle those troubled times, right? I love the acronym for the Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's what this is. These are the basic instructions for us before we leave earth, right? God gives us this instruction manual, the greatest instruction manual you'll ever have for how to navigate through life. And there's no situation in life that isn't covered here in the Bible. There's nothing that you're going through in your life that isn't covered here in the Bible. There's nothing you're going through in your life that Jesus hasn't also been through, right? Times of isolation, when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus was um, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happens? All of his followers flee. He's left alone. They all abandon him. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to be lied about. He knows what it's like to be hurt by others, to be um, beaten, to be mistreated by others. He knows all that we go through. That's why he came down to this earth, that he can relate directly to what you're going through. To what you're going through, you think, oh, no one else has ever been through this. Jesus has. Jesus has been through it all. He's been tempted by all the ways you can be tempted. Any temptation you come across, Jesus has already dealt with that. And he dealt with it flawlessly. He can show you a way out, the Bible says. A way out of your temptation. A way out of our looking to ourselves. And that's what Elijah's doing. He's looking to himself instead of looking to God, right? Jesus can show you a way out of that. Jesus is the, the, the 
children's ministry answer to everything, and Jesus is still our adulting answer to everything, right? What's the answer to life's problems? What's the answer to the struggles that we go through? The answer is Jesus. The answer can be found in Jesus, through Jesus. Everything we have is about Jesus. Everything we have been given, we've been given through him. He's given it to us. Any goodness, any kindness, any gifts that we have, anything good in our lives came because of him. Because the work he did on the cross, because of his love for us. That never changes. That never goes away. That doesn't matter whether we've been good or whether we've fallen into sin. He still loves us the same. Why? Why can we say that? Because he died for us while we were still sinners. So the answer to everything is, is to look into Jesus. But I think here in Colossians, and this is where we'll finish up, in Colossians chapter 3, we'll look at, at verses 12 through 17 here. But this kind of exp- gives us what we should be striving for, what we should be looking toward. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I think this is a huge area that we oftentimes fall short of. That we want to believe the promises of God. We're going through troubled times. We've bought into this lie, this deception that the enemy has painted. But oftentimes those lies and deceptions we buy into are because we chose to distance ourselves from God. And this is one way that we can distance ourselves from God. That we don't allow for others' faults and that we don't forgive others. Think of how much God has forgiven us for. Shouldn't we forgive others? And oftentimes when we choose not to forgive others... We find ourselves in this bitter, this place of bitterness. And the Bible warns us of this bitter area. This root of bitterness, be careful of it. Because once it gets hold in your life, it is very, very difficult to remove. But we choose to walk into that, right? But we can choose to walk out of that as well. And we can choose to forgive, even when it's hard. And what is forgiveness? Does forgiveness mean that we put ourselves back in that position, back in those relationships that we found that hurt in? No, not necessarily. Forgiveness is something that takes place really between you and God. Forgiveness is something that takes place in your heart. Do you ever have to speak that person and tell them you forgive them? No, not necessarily. Can God put that on your heart though, that you should do that? Sure. And you should obey whatever God's put on your heart. But you can forgive others and that's something that takes place in your own heart. And the Lord knows what your heart is. So oftentimes we can find ourselves buying into the deceptions, but we buy into the deceptions of the enemy because we've chose to distance ourselves from God. We've chose to live in sin. We've chose to live in unforgiveness. So we'll continue on here in Colossians chapter 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So what are we to do? We're to love others. 
We've been over this. Who's our neighbor? Our neighbor is everyone. We're to love everyone. And as loving everyone, we are to forgive them. We are to look at them as dear friends, even our enemies. When we walk into a party or we're at a gathering and our friend walks in and we're happy, we go up and see him, give him a big hug. Are we willing to do the same for our enemies? That's what love is. That's loving our neighbor. That's what loving our enemies looks like. Can we do that in our heart? And then have peace. Have peace in our hearts. Peace that comes from Christ. And be thankful. Be thankful for all that God has given us, all that God has done. Don't covet what someone else has or what someone else is doing. Be thankful for the life that God is giving you. And tell him that regularly. You should be thankful in all of your prayer times. God, I thank you for the work you do in my life. I thank you for the way you guide and provide for me and my family. That should be something that's regularly said in prayer. So we'll continue on here with the last two verses. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. So let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So let this message about Christ in all its riches and fullness fill your lives. So let the, the gospel message that Jesus loved you so much, he came down to this earth, fully human, fully God, died for our sins as a sacrifice. He took our place on that cross, that he died, but he rose again three days later, and he is seated in the right hand of God, right? He rose again and then ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. When we believe that, we believe that full richness, that God loved us so much, he sent his one and only son to take our place on that cross. When we choose to believe that, that we would choose to live our lives for that, we should be willing to lay down our lives for God. That we should be willing to sacrifice our time, our talents, and our treasures to serve God in whatever way he's called us to serve him. That we should teach and counsel each other, right? We should be together in fellowship with each other. We're not to be isolated. Don't let the enemy deceive you into this idea of isolation, that we're to be alone. No, we're not. And it's a choice to be alone or to be with others. So when we're low, when we're feeling down, I just want to be on my own. That's not really the way it works. That's not what God calls us to. When we're feeling down or low, God calls us to be with other believers, to find ourselves surrounded by them, to be encouraged by them so that we can in turn encourage them when they're going through these times of lowliness. Then we're to sing songs and hymns, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. This is a big one. I think one of the best ways that we can overcome these areas of depression, these times of lowliness, is to sing praise and worship songs, right? That we can change our attitude, we can take the focus off of ourselves, and we can choose to worship our God. We can choose to sing songs and praises to Him. Oftentimes we get told um, that... Oh, there's just nothing I can do. It's just how I am. This is how I was born. This is how I was raised. Um, no, that's not true. We can choose to walk 
in these times of isolation, these times of loneliness, we can choose to walk through that praising God and he'll bring us up out of that. We can lift our eyes off of ourselves and put them on him where they should be. When we put our eyes on God, we don't have time to to feel sorry for ourselves or to be um, in these times of isolation. We're always with him and and it just changes our perspective is what it really does. So we had a discussion earlier this week. Um, one of the guys had called and asked, I'm really struggling with some anger right now. How do I handle this? And the way to handle this is, is to sing some praises and sing some songs to God. To pray to him, ask him for the strength to guide you through this. Does he answer those prayers? Yes, 100% of the time. You're a believer. You're asking for him to guide you to lead you out of sin. Is that God's will? Yes, that's always God's will in your life. So he will answer that prayer every single time. Does that mean that you'll never struggle with that area of sin again? No, it will come up again. And what do you do? Pray, ask God to remove it and spend time singing songs and hymns and and worship him. Take your eyes off of yourself. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Giving thanks through God, through Jesus, to God our Father. We are a representative. We are a light and a witness. Now we can choose to be a good witness or a bad witness, but we are a light and a witness to Jesus Christ when we are believers in him, and we should do it as a good representative to him. And that's really what's one of the areas that the Bible speaks of depression. There's many others. So when you go through these times of depression, realize that you are not alone. You are not the only one to go through this, that this happens. The enemy wants to deceive, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to isolate you, and you can choose to buy into that picture that the enemy's painted, or you can choose to look past it to the eternal picture, to the work that Jesus has done already in your life, and that God is going to continue to do in your life. And that you can choose to buy into the promises of God, right? And not get stuck on the lies of the enemy. The enemy wants to deceive and destroy, wants to mislead you, wants to get you out of position. The enemy can't take away your salvation if you've asked Jesus into your life. The enemy can't kick Jesus out. Jesus is far more powerful than the enemy. And we can choose to walk in that. We can choose to know that God loves us. He'll never leave us or abandon us. He promises that many times throughout his word. And that when we do go through these times of isolation, these times of depression, these times of lowliness, that we should seek out other believers. We should seek out Bible studies. We should seek out just times to go spend with them. Invite people over for meals is what it says, right? We're to share meals with others. That's a great way to, to have fellowship with other believers, sharing meals. So with that, that's where we end. Do we have any questions? You don't have any questions? Really? What about when... Oh, yeah. I can see the question in your mind. So I'm just going to read through your mind. What about when I'm at school and other kids are, are making fun of me or... I don't get Or somebody said something or I look at myself in the mirror and I wish, I wish I looked a different way. I wish I had a different hairstyle. I wish I had different eyes or a different nose or whatever it is. No, no, you don't go through any of that. No. Well, just keep in mind that Jesus knows all that you're going through 
and he's always with you. And you can always turn to him. That he created you for a plan and a purpose. He created you in his image. That you look or shaped or the way you are because that's the way God designed you. That he loves you, that he cares for you, that he'll never leave you or abandon you. That he made you in his image for his plan and purpose. And that we can choose to walk in that or we can choose to believe the lies that we're not good enough. Right? How about that? Was that in your mind? Was that question coming through? No. I think it was. dark places that you I don't even you can't explain it because you can't get out of it and um, I mean I rely on the Bible heavily and thank goodness I did but if even with that it is not it is not an easy place to get out of And, and, and and yes, this is absolutely, I don't know, I, I guess it's just, I can, you know, you, you, you hear about these people that, you know, like this situation with this poor man and his daughter. It is a place that is just, I don't even know how to explain it. You can't get out of it. I mean, and thank goodness, like I said, my faith is strong. I guess it's so hard to reach people that are in that space if they don't have well, an understanding. I too, on the end of that, I think even with the understanding, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They still, you can still go to a place that you can't. It's so hard to get out of. Obviously. I guess it's the evil one that just. It's a yeah. fight. Oh, yeah. It is a, seriously a battle. Absolutely. And if you're talking about the, if we go to the situation, when they had the, the memorial service yesterday, and one thing that we heard was that he was very opinionated, especially when it came to political issues. So you hear that a lot. And I would say you just have to be very careful. The Bible gives us very clear understanding of what we're to do and what we're not to do what's sin and what's not and we're to respect this authority and, and that doesn't mean we obey it that doesn't mean we submit to the authority but we're to respect it and when we choose not to respect authority we're allowing that sin into our life and sin well the saying on sin is sin always grows takes you farther than you want to go keeps you longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay that sin starts off small but always grows in your life and so can I see this this not respecting authority and, and can that grow? Can that grow into this idea of you get into these conspiracy theories that they are out to get me, the government is out to get me because I've chose not to respect the government um, and I've allowed that sin into my life and I've given the, the enemy a foothold to, to grow that. I think I could see that. And now, like you said, every situation is different. There's no one answer for anything. But I can say that when we allow, when we choose to willingly walk in sin over and over again, we're allowing the enemy, you're really just playing with fire. You're playing with this very slippery slope. And the best way I can think of it is like just in the season now, walking on ice. 
the other day we were walking through a parking lot um, and it was icy and before I knew it just one step and just like that you're on the ground you don't even know what's happened it happens so quick and I think the scent is the same way I want to play with a little bit of scent it's okay it's not really that bad you know well you have no idea how quickly it can fall and turn into a bigger thing and that's why God warns us of this that's why God tries to keep us away from these sins and these other things in our lives because it's not good for us and he knows how dangerous it is and how quickly it can turn but I agree with you the the bouts of depression are it's weird to describe it's weird to understand um, and it's it's hard to, to get out of it and it, it does at times take times and there are times where you know we do need help outside of ourselves for sure we do need help from other believers and there are times where we need help professional help too for some of this and that we shouldn't be afraid to talk through that um, my dad was telling me about I have a, I have a yeah my dad was telling me on, on that too because I, I think there's there's a feelings that are there out there that people with depression have and they can't figure it out in their own brain so as much as as I, I, you know I'm it has nothing it's it's not against anything that we get taught in the church or anything else they if, if they're not even versed in the Bible what if they don't even know a lot about it it gets them confused like, where, well, where do I go? What do I do to make these feelings go away? And, and I know we talk about feelings. They're not, I don't even know how, I guess where I'm going with that is you can, you even in the church, it's like, well, you should read the Bible. You'll get past all of that. I, I, I've, I've heard it, and they'll be like, you, you just need to turn to Jesus. Okay, well, what if they, you have to, there has to be, there is some guidance that comes with that too. And that's where the fellowship, because we didn't read through anything. It was just, oh, it's a one, one thing we pulled down. It was, it was being in the word, right? Mm-hmm. Understanding God's word. Before you get to the troubled times, it's kind of too late. You're playing catch up once you're in these troubled times. But it's being in the word. It's being in fellowship with other believers. It's spending time in prayer and it's spending time singing and worshiping God. And it's all of that, but it's it all should take place before you get to these places. And the and I think it's sometimes it's hard to go down this road of, well, what if this scenario? Because we make up these scenarios in our head that never happen. And I think that's part of the enemy's fear is you made up this scenario. Well, what about this one person over here that never knew God and went through this area of depression? And it's hard to go through that um, because you just don't you can't. I think you have to talk about scenarios or situations that you know of. Because there's an en- endless what-ifs, right? Um, but I do, I will say that I, I do believe that God is bigger than it all. And that there's... I think the first thing, it, well, if you're talking about our society, the first is we should be talking about this more. That this should be something that gets put into, oh, don't bring that up. That's what... Dad went to a church service here in Parker, and and the pastor was talking along these same lines and saying how he goes to counseling. And so people would tell him oftentimes, 
We shouldn't tell people you go to counseling. He goes, well, why is that? Goes, well, they're going to think you don't have it all together. He goes, well, I don't have it all together. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know? is that it's, there's some, I think there's a persona put on the church is, situation mm-hmm. sometimes where you don't bring that up, and that doesn't happen. And if you just turn to the Word, you'll be fine. And I think that... Well, there's so many things. I mean, and I, because I've had to deal with it, and I've had to go to counseling. And thankfully, I've had really good counselor that is a good Christian man. But there's other things that people don't understand that go along with depression. And your mind, when you are in a serious state of depression for so so long. It becomes a physical disability. You do have to have help to get out, and sometimes it does mean you do have to have medication because it's like he's explaining to me you have to reset the wires in your brain. You've got, you've got to have other help. And so it shouldn't be that. And I think that it's become a stigma of you're crazy. And, and I don't agree with people constantly being on like all kinds. There's people that are overdo it with medication and they never, never, never get over it. It becomes a crutch and it becomes a, this is what's wrong with me. This is what's wrong with me. This is what's wrong with me. There's never, ever any solution to their problem. But I, I, I mean, with the Bible and with reading and understanding, and it becomes a double-edged sword too, because you look at it and go, what did I do wrong? God, why are you punishing me? And that becomes the other issue with people thinking I, I really screwed up. Oh, yeah. God can't forgive me. And that's why we do have to be in fellowship and we do have to continue to keep learning and believing and having that support from from good fellowship to say God did not do this to punish you. Oh yeah. You know, and that's what I mean by it being a double edged sword because people do believe that. Yeah, but there's, yeah, and that's, you're right, finding a church or teaching that's teaching the true word of God, because there's many that will deceive, and and there's many that paint this picture of God as being this angry God, and it's just not true. Mm -hmm. So I did a study, I don't think I have the paper down here, it's upstairs, but God is, you know, what is God, you know? Our God is the the God of the heavens and the earth, the God of this, the God of all these different things. Um, God of um, the whole list. I'm trying to think through. I wish I had the paper in front of me. But the whole list of what God is. He's the God of all comfort, the God of all these different things. But the things I don't read in there, he's not the God of anger, and he's not the God of um, punishment. That you know, When we read through more like John chapter 3 verse 17 that Jesus came into the world to save not to judge he'll come back later to judge but that's not where we're at that's not what we're living in right now and when we look through the eyes of, of God's word is that we have to serve this very loving God when we go through these troubled times that's what the enemy wants to do he wants to isolate you from God he wants to isolate you from everyone else and then isolate you from God oh God could never forgive you for this God, God is punishing you for this God is mad at you God is angry at you and none of that is true God loved you while you were still a sinner and sent his son to die for you while you were still neck deep in sin. And 
And that when you look through it with those eyes, if God loves you that much when you weren't walking with him, how much more does he love you when you are? And he's not out to get you. And I think it's so important now, especially with everything that's going on in our world, because they do want to paint this picture of depression and doom and gloom. Oh, yeah. And it's very frightening, I think, even for our younger people, because you... You're faced with this every single day. I just tend, I just ignore it. So it's like, it, uh, I believe in a higher being that's going to protect me no matter what. Oh, yeah. But how do you overcome that when, you know what I mean? They are really pushing us. There's so much of it going on right now. We just had that talk on Friday at the pastor's prayer, you know, about the news. And and how dangerous it is anymore to watch the news, any news. It is, doesn't matter it what is. you're watching because it, yeah, it's it, it, it creates this fear. And it's, yeah. And now, not to go to the extreme, because we talked about that, well, all news is bad. Um, and there's some Christian organizations that put out like the World News Today. We talked through that, and that's through a pastor here in Elizabeth that does that. And, and he goes through it, and in five minutes, he gives you kind of the world news, and, but it always starts with, different persecutions because uh, I think we forget about that too all throughout the world you know just last week there was a, a pastor in Uganda that got sprayed with acid in his face and burned all of his face and shoulders and by some Muslim extremists that are upset with him because he converted some of the Muslims to Christianity and that was what they were doing so I think we so getting away from all the news where you don't hear about stuff like that too because that brings up I think we get spoiled here in our country. We don't have that persecution, but lots of people in the world do. And, and how much harder it would be to have a relationship with Jesus when that's the persecution you're faced with. So, but I agree, news is... And more and more, more believers you talk to are getting a little further and further away from the news. Because I think you recognize that it is. It's evil. And it creates fear and creates isolation and you know you look throughout all the different times just in modern war area how they use propaganda to to create fear and to to really manipulate people so yes but but I agree with you that there are times where you need you need help you need counseling and yes I understand that there are churches that will say oh you can't do any kind of counseling. I don't agree with that. I think you should be careful with the counseling you find. You should be looking for a Christian-based counseling. Um, and then you should pray and ask God to lead you to the person he wants you to go to. And that, yes, there are different times where medication is required. But like you said, it shouldn't be a lifelong sentence. Right. And it shouldn't be all of these stacked up that are causing, oh, I have to take this medication, but then I have to take this one because yeah. it counteracts the side effects of this one. You know, and it can get too too far there too but you're right I agree anything else do you have anything else not even one comment okay let's pray dear father I just thank you for this day and thank you for this time to come together to focus on you to worship you to be in fellowship with other believers to talk through some of the tougher issues. We don't want to ignore anything, and your word covers it all, and I'm very thankful for that. 
I'm thankful that you can lead us and guide us through your word, that you can speak to us through your word, and that you oftentimes do. I ask that you would strengthen and encourage each one of us, that we would, this year, starting a new year, that we would pursue a deeper relationship with you, that we would pursue making you a priority in our lives, making spending time in your word and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers and with you regularly, that we would make that a priority this year, that we would just be strengthened and encouraged by you. I'm, Jesus, I'm thankful for your work on the cross, for all that you do for us. Lord, I ask that you would watch over. There's many people that are hurting or going through dark times and, and depression, that you would meet them where they're at, that you would speak to them, that you would lead them and guide them out of that, that you would encourage them, that you would comfort them. You are the God of all comfort. I ask you would comfort them now. Lord, I ask you would watch over my mom as she goes through her last treatment, that you would bring healing to her hip, that this treatment would um, just be what she needs, that you would lead and guide the doctors. I ask that you would... Um, you would watch over all those that, that were affected by this loss of life at Casey Jones Park. That the, the police, the first responders, that everyone that was involved, that you would meet them where they're at, that you would lead them and guide them, that you would comfort them. Lord, I ask you to watch over Pam and Scott, that you'd bring healing to their bodies, that you would guide the doctors in their treatment. Um, I ask you would watch over Kathy and Susan, that you would give the doctors wisdom in their treatment. You would watch over Matt and Joey's knees. Um, Lord, I ask you would encourage us to be in fellowship with one another, to be encouraging to others, to lift others up. I ask you watch over the Coffee family, that you would give them patience, peace, and wisdom, and forgiveness um, as they go through uh, just going through life with Pat. I ask you would. Watch over all those that are going through the PST EMDR counseling, that you would give them patience to endure through this counseling, that you would um, bring healing through it, that you would watch over Christina and her heart, you would guide the doctors, that you would continue to watch over Bonnie, give the doctors wisdom, that you would watch over Ming this week, that you would give him wisdom, that you would guide him, that you would give him strength. You, know, you would give us the right words to speak, as you watch over the sheriff's department, the police department, that you would protect them physically, also protect them spiritually. You would keep the enemy from lying them, deceiving them. You protect their families, Lord. I ask you would watch over and guide us um, into a church that so we come alongside, um, wherever that may be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray all these things.